politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command. We welcome everyone from conservative to moderate to even liberal, because frankly, those of you who think you're liberal, you don't understand this ain't your grandfather's liberal movement. It's not your grandfather's liberal Democrat party. I'm here to tell you today, on this fine Tuesday, August 27th, that what we're confronted with as a nation by a very small fringe group of people that have taken over government, law, media, entertainment, foundations, now really consuming some of the business elites, they are part of what Mark Levin described a couple of years ago, a de-civilization agenda. It's not liberalism. It's not even socialism per se. It's a de-civilization agenda to deracinate, to uproot, to undo the basic building blocks of a civilization in addition to particularly a constitutional republic um, system of government built on top of that civil society and civilization. Before things get really busy again next week with the Congress critters back, um, with the Supreme Court coming back, it's important to reflect on where we are, where we are as a nation, where we are as conservatives. Why is it that the left is succeeding on winning 50-year cultural battles overnight without firing a single shot. If you really look at this decivilization agenda, if you think about it, there's a number of facets to it, but the ones I want to focus on today, and even then we're not going to get to all of it, but that we've been focusing on in recent days, recent weeks, so obviously you have the economic Marxism where government is judge, jury, and executioner over our economy. They could redefine economics. They could redistribute wealth. They could, at any whim, just go in and distort the markets, mandates, regulations, subsidies, whatever they want. But then there's more to it. There's more to it than just Marxism. There's the man is a woman, a woman is a man. Redefine lineage, redefine humanity, redefine sexuality, redefine national borders. Foreigners are citizens. Citizens are foreigners and strangers in their own country. Criminals are really victims. Let out all the criminals. That's another facet of it. And then on top of that is what we've been warning about for so many years, probably more than anyone in the public sphere, judicial supremacism. See, it's crazy enough to push a de-civilization agenda. Man is woman, woman's man, criminal's victim, illegal alien is citizen. It's crazy enough to push that in the political branches of government, where you actually have to stand for election. You have a A, you have to get elected. B, you have to get reelected. C, you have to engage in a robust public debate where there's a democratic process to pass a piece of legislation and enact it. 
But what the left has done is over the years, they have brainwashed the public into this notion of judicial supremacy, that we don't have three branches of government. We really have one branch of government. And it's not just the Supreme Court, but any lower court that they pick to redefine the Constitution, that's it. And if the Supreme Court overturns it, they'll just come back again a couple of years later, start the cycle again, slightly different case, slightly different tone, and seek the same thing until they succeed. Again and again and again until they succeed. Remember, Obergefell, the gay marriage case where they redefined the building block of all civilization, marriage. That in itself, for the first time ever in, to my knowledge, in Supreme Court history, overturned a nine to zero case in 1979, where they first sought to redefine it, and, and it was unanimous not to do it. But again, they only have to win one time. They get all that bats. They could strike out, but they could come back again for another at bat and constantly win. It's a perfect system of heads they win, tails they win. And the beauty of it, as we noted yesterday, and by the way, if you haven't heard yesterday's show, go to YouTube, like our show, episode 479 on how elections don't matter if we're going to accord any judge the power of God, greater power than God. God himself doesn't take a, a guy with a male plumbing and call, you know, refer to the person as a, as, a, as a female. But the beauty of this agenda is that they get to do it through the unelected judges. So here's the deal. No one has ever heard of these cases. They're quiet. Until they go to the Supreme Court, and even then, no one has ever heard of them, until we try to enact legislation. They're like, oh, you can't do it. The court said it's in the Constitution. Well, what do you mean? Why is the court the sole and finer, final expositor of the, of the Constitution? Well, they're not, but we've been brainwashed into thinking that, and it's not true. Not true at all. But it allows the left to quietly implement their agenda without transparency, without a public debate without the legislative process, and without standing for election. So they don't even suffer the reprisal of implementing their agenda. So again, they have their de-civilization agenda, and then they implement it through the unelected federal courts. So with that, I want to continue our discussion from yesterday, because this case out of Idaho was more insane than I could ever imagine. I didn't even realize it. I was focused on Friday on the insane immigration ruling where they just ruled, hey, 130-year immigration law is unconstitutional. You had this gender dysphoria case in Idaho where the Ninth Circuit on Friday mandated that the state castrate a prisoner and pay for it with taxpayer funding, of course. And that if you don't castrate the guy, it's a violation of cruel and unusual punishment. I didn't realize yesterday that this individual who was suing in court was convicted of child molestation, molesting a 15-year-old boy. This is a 22-year-old man. Yes, he's a man. Um, and, uh, this guy is seeking to get government to pay to self-destruct himself, self-immolate. And you know, right off the bat, we have to ask ourselves, folks, have we been asleep at the wheel? 
How have we allowed things to get this radical that blithefully and blissfully people that appear to be sane and lucid in politics and media could just refer to a man as a woman, a woman as a man, refer to literally, I'm not exaggerating, there's no hyperbole we're going to see in this case, cutting off someone's testicles or for a female, their chest, and mutilating and injecting them with all sorts of stuff, putting, doing hysterectomies on males and, I don't know, adding penises to women. I don't even know what that means. And just refer to it as surgery. Surgery. Like something constructive. How is it that the left has been able to get away with this decivilization agenda? And the answer is... Because even in the reddest of red states, much less nationally at the 50-yard line in American politics, we don't have a conservative party. And by golly, you don't even need to be conservative to believe that castrating someone is evil, immoral, illogical, and needs to stop. And we've allowed this to go on. Even conservatives use their language, LGBTQ. Um... Uh, transgender surgery. Like, we use their language. A lot of conservative publications, I notice, even use, refer to a guy with a yin and, and, and a yang as a female. And because we have social media and there's so much inculcating people's brains, they, they, they can't think for a minute. They, can't have, they don't have any respite. You know, in the beginning of, uh, of, uh, of Exodus, I believe it's chapter 5, so when Pharaoh was sensing some sort of rebellion in Egypt, when Moses initiated the conversations with him to let out the Jews, and he was scared that, that Moses would spawn a full-scale rebellion. So Pharaoh said, you know what? I'm going to increase their hard work. Then not only do they have to construct the bricks and the swamps and Ramses, they now have to gather the raw materials and the straw to construct the bricks in the first place. And, and the purpose of that was he realized that you might be outnumbered. You know, let's say there were more Jews than Egyptians and they could easily rebel. But if you shut their brain down by not giving them any respite of thought to the body, mind, soul, emotions that's how you beat down a slave and they can't rebel and we've all become slaves to this system this immoral illogical gender bending system where we've allowed the left to do this and we just it's become normal if if i go up to you and i say i'm chopping off my arm would you say you're a an lgbc american a chopping american um Government needs to pay, Medicaid needs to fund the removal of my arm or my leg. Surgery. Daniel wants surgery. Are you going to deny Daniel his surgery? You know, here, this is what it is. This is what the guy wants to do. Okay, this is a razor. This guy in Idaho Department of Corrections um, evidently tried to cut off his testicles a couple of times and maybe partially succeeded. This Adri Edmo. And now, a Ninth Circuit could just come along and say the Constitution mandates that you must complete that for him. So if I were to do this to my arm, 
Okay, I, I think we would all recognize I would be mentally insane, a danger to myself and others, and it would be a no-brainer that such a procedure, unless my arm was gangrene or something, God forbid it needed to be removed, is such a medical procedure would be outlawed. It would be against the law. It would be a felony to commit such an act, much less mandate that government officials must pay to have it done, right? How is it that when, when somehow we extrapolate that to someone's penis or breast, and I, I just want to like make it very clear because I think we talk around the issue a little bit too much. Oh, a transgender surgery. No, no, let's call a spade a spade. Somehow when you extrapolate it to that, it's like, no, this is, this is who, uh, surgery. Uh, it's cruel and unusual punishment if you don't castrate the person. How have we gotten to this point? And the answer is because there is no check and balance on the left's behavior because we have a phony conservative movement and a phony Republican Party that, depending on the issue, either fails to push back against it or downright supports it to varying degrees. And that's certainly the case with open borders and the pro-criminal um, agenda known as criminal justice reform. But even with this stuff, Republicans are like, Oh, I don't know. I'm too scared. I don't want to look like I'm too religious. Dude, you don't have to be a religious conservative to appreciate that a man's a man and a woman is a woman and that cutting someone's breast or balls off is castration. You know, we have had in this country, we have had at our founding a revolution over taxation without representation. Nowadays, what we face is social transformation without representation. Meaning it's not just that the left is enacting a social transformation through elected representatives, they're enacting it through the courts. And the courts have no such power. But I'd go a step farther. Now we're at the point where we have taxpayer-funded castration without representation. That's what we have today. And if we cannot call a spade a spade, if we're going to dance around this language, th th then just go home. I don't understand it. These people don't live long. Nobody understands what's going to happen to these people when you do that to them. My analogy is not even good because an arm and a leg, it's, it's important mo for mobility. But it, you know, if you cut off a hand, it doesn't systemically destroy the entire system of the body like destroying someone's male and female plumbing and the hormones to go with it. That's what it is. So we have this case where a judge could just say, oh, it's cruel and unusual punishment. You know, it's sad. So, you know, the court ruled, um, Supreme Court in 1976, Estelle v. Gamble, that there could be a point where prisons violate cruel and unusual punishment if they deny prisoners of basic medical care. And the way they define that is de denying care that such medical care is, de the denial of such medical care is so unconscionable as to fall below society's minimum standard of decency. Minimum standard of decency. 
Now we have judges telling us 43 years later that the minimum standard of decency in our society is offering to castrate people. So the judge is ordering to cut his balls off. I guess do everything else. I, I don't know if that means adding a female version. I don't know what that even means, how that's done. Um, and then adding a chest, performing that type of stuff. Um, but it involves, you know, in Wisconsin, the case was a female who wanted to go, you know, go the other way. And the judge mandated Medicaid funding that the state used Medicaid funding. For, I mean, it, I looked at that case it included castration, um, mastectomies, hysterectomies, genital, genital reconstruction and breast augmentation. So there you go. Now, obviously, this garbage has been tried before in the courts earlier this year in the Fifth Circuit. They laughed it out. The First Circuit a couple of years ago, they laughed it out. But the Ninth Circuit gets to do this. You know, some of you might say, well, Daniel, look, now that there's a circuit split, it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And as bad as Roberts and some of these phony conservatives are on the Supreme Court, there's no way they're going to go along with this. And that might very, very well be true. But here's what you guys need to understand. The left has first and goal at our end zone with an unlimited number of tries. Everything they do in the courts is a violation of history, tradition and law and precedent and Supreme Court precedent. They only need to win one time. So they come back again and again and again until they get it. And a lot of these cases are allowing to percolate in society for so long that it creates this political momentum for what they're doing. I don't understand why there is no effort on the part of conservatives to go on offense. Thankfully, the governor there says we're not funding it. But, you know, he kind of said more like they're appealing to the Supreme Court. I don't I don't I don't I'm not opposed to that. But it's like if a, let's say a judge says, I want you to chop your head off. Are you going to say I'm going to appeal to the Supreme Court? No, there's got to be a point in time where we say, no, you don't have that power. We have separation of powers. You can't force a state to appropriate funding for something illogical, immoral and dangerous under something that is transparently the most radical adulteration of a constitutional clause imaginable. Think about it. Cruel and unusual. Unusual means it's unusual what government is doing. In this case, they admit this would be the first time ever forcing a Department of Corrections to pay for castration for an inmate. It has never been done. And they're saying that if Idaho doesn't do it, it will be cruel and unusual. Remember, the um, founders did not, and the courts have said this a number of times, <clears throat> Supreme Court, the Eighth Amendment doesn't ban anything that's cruel. It has to be both in order to violate the Constitution, cruel and unusual. So if there's something you might think is cruel, but it's been in common practice for a while, you know, it's, it's, it's constitutional. Where, we're like the frogs in the boiling water. We don't, jump out why are conservatives not pushing an agenda to go on offense and downright ban doctors from violating the hippocratic oath and performing such mutilations 
I mean, tell me. If you have someone's arm, someone is mentally ill, and they say, I want to chop my arm off, okay? And a doctor did that. Wouldn't he be a criminal? Shouldn't this be a criminal act by a factor of 100? That's the question. I want you to think about this. How much we have devolved into a decadent society. And again, I don't think most people are like this. It's a small elite that scares everyone into thinking that everyone believes that. But they don't. But I want you to think about this thought for a minute. <clears throat> Ponder this juxtaposition. In a number of states, like New Jersey, but there's many, I don't have the list offhand. It is now, states have banned what's called gay conversion therapy. Now, what is taking place is nothing physical, right? The guy's not touching the person. It's merely therapy, psychology, just counseling. It's counseling of someone who is a legitimate male and, you know, over having the normal male attractions as opposed to the opposite. That is banned. Yet we are told that somehow, not only can you, but you must take a male and physically cut his balls off because he says he's a female. What they are in fact saying, and this is kind of a deep thought, that it's more natural for a man to be a woman than for a man to be a man. Because again, for a man to have normal male sexuality, you're telling me you are not allowed to take a guy who says he's gay, whatever that even means, and just engage in a, you know, counseling. You can't, can't do that. Can't do that. But we are told you could go ahead and cut someone's balls off and say he's a woman because he's a woman. So I'm allowed to do it. And not only that, courts can now mandate that Medicaid must fund it, prisons must fund it. You know, <laughs> it's funny. People often joke around, you know, not such a joke, but half jokingly, that child sex offenders should be castrated. <laughs> well, here's the irony here. The case in Idaho, the guy was a child sex offender. And now courts are saying you must castrate him. <laughs> so maybe, maybe some good will come out of this after all. But, but that, that's the irony. If we were to say, if we were to pass a law and say child sex offenders should be castrated, right? Immediately, all the courts, you know, every court, would say it's cruel and unusual punishment, right? But yeah, if you do it for this, somehow it's cruel and unusual punishment not to do it. What I'm trying to say is look at what we are willing to do to service the sexual licentious agenda. And that's what it's all about. Because again, if you cut off someone's shoulder, knee, hip, everyone would say what I'm saying. But somehow, if you extrapolate it to a woman's chest or female and male plumbing between the legs, somehow, like, no, what do you mean? Daniel, you're a hateful person. Nothing stands before the sexual licentious agenda in society. And that's the problem. No one stands up to these people. 
They're destroying our society and we don't take the fight to them. It's out of control. You know, I was thinking recently. Um, where is this? I saw a story. This is talk about out of control. This is from the Daily Wire. Dot com. This case happened in England. Single woman marries herself on 36th birthday. To celebrate 36 years without marrying anyone, a single woman in West Sussex, England, elected to throw a wedding-themed birthday party where she cheekily married herself. A single mom rang in her 36th birthday in an unusual fashion by wearing a wedding dress and tiara and celebrating making it all the way without marrying anyone. I was thinking to myself recently, What's to stop the left from doing this? This is no less absurd than a court saying a man and a man is a marriage. You know, everyone focused again on, oh, Daniel, stop judging people. And like, you know, the Bible and sin. We're not talking about that. That, you know, I have my beliefs. You could have your beliefs. It's fine. We're talking about redefining unnatural law. You can do whatever you want in your own, but you can't mandate that a state must redefine marriage to something that's not a marriage and say it's in the Constitution. So the, the, the question, this reminded me of the fact that, <clears throat> see, the courts will only push what the licentious agenda is doing. They wait until it becomes popular, not among a majority of the people, but among the elites, and then that's when the courts come in so they can win the fight for them in the broad population without ever having to have it out in the legislature. So I made this point in chapter three of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. I said, to strike down state marriage laws, the court declared that marriage is no longer a special union between one man and one woman. As such, they had an obligation to explain to the country what a marriage is. This is where they were appallingly silent. This case is different from all other areas where the courts strike down state or federal statutes. Normally, when the courts strike down a law they deem unlawful, the law reverts back to what it was before the passage of the flawed law in their mind. In this case, nothing predated traditional marriage, so to speak. This leads to the question none of the proponents of redefining marriage from the bench could answer. If marriage is no longer limited to one man and one woman, why should it not include polyamory, polygamy, and incestuous relationships? Again, were marriage to be redefined through the political process, these are the particular conditions that can be worked out. But if courts are going to find an unalienable right to a homosexual marriage and state recognition thereof, why do those rights not extend to the aforementioned non-traditional relationships so long as they are consenting adults? And by the way, even that, you know, they're, they're slowly sanitizing pedophilia too, but that's a different story. This was the question posed by Justice Alito to Mary Bonato, the lawyer arguing the case on behalf of the same-sex couple. She had no legitimate answer. Checkmate. In fact, there are three reasons why the aforementioned relationships should have a stronger case in their quest for marriage recognition than homosexual couples if we are to consider Anthony Kennedy's opinion, the law of the land. First, from a natural law perspective, 
polygamous, polyamorous, and incestuous marriages can result in procreation, whether you like it or not. And in the case of polygamy, it is certainly more rooted in history than homosexual marriage. While, marriages while marriage encompasses a lot more than simply having children, procreation has been the hallmark of the institution since its inception because civilization could not perpetuate itself without it. That is the defining characteristic differentiating a marriage from any other friendship or relationship. Moreover, so much of Kennedy's ruling is rooted in his fabrication of new constitutional rights, namely the right to, quote, dignity, quote, nobility, protection against stigmas, and the right to, quote, define and express their identity. If Kennedy believes it is his responsibility and prerogative to bestow those new post-constitutional rights on perhaps the most powerful and trendy class of people in the country, how much more so for a group that is still scorned, stigmatized, and denied their dignity to express their identity? Homosexual marriage is in vogue and glorified by Hollywood, whereas the, these other relationships are still heavily stigmatized. Don't they need an even greater degree of protection? Where is their right to love? Third, what about the children of these relationships? Shouldn't we be concerned with removing the stigma from their children, just like Kennedy was so concerned in regards to the stigma against adopted children of homosexual relationships? Again, this is all from the text. I'm taking these arguments all from the text of Obergefell. And unlike children of homosexual relationships, which by definition are only adopted, polygamist or incestuous relationships can produce biological children. Don't these biological children deserve at least as much protection against stigma as the adopted children of homosexuals? Again, we're not making political and societal arguments here. Courts should be concerned with legal arguments, and it is simply indefensible to deny multiple partners, threesomes or tensomes, the dignity of a marriage license. Imagine how well-rounded the children would be having the luxury of multiple caretakers. Picture a middle-aged man who tragically loses his wife to cancer in her 40s and views his daughter, who is a spitting image of his late wife, as his next soulmate to console him over the heartbreaking loss. Doesn't this scenario epitomize, quote, the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family, unquote, Kennedy referenced at the conclusion of his illogical and tempestuous screed. Yet amazingly, Kennedy blatantly limited his decision to two individuals in the most brazen act of legislating from the bench of all time, restructuring the foundation of civilization. This is a quote from the opinion. The nature of marriage is that, through its enduring bond, two persons together can find other freedoms such as expression, intimacy, and spirituality. This is true for all persons, whatever their sexual orientation. There is dignity in the bond between two men or two women who seek to marry and in, in their autonomy to make such profound choices. A second principle in this court's jurisprudence is that the right to marry fundamental is fundamental because it supports a two-person union. And then I go on to say, as Chief Justice Roberts noted in his dissent, Kennedy's insertion of the adjective two into the, his edict redefining marriage, marriages between two individuals of the same or opposite sex makes it clear that personal social preference now trump, trumps legal cons consistency. See, if you say I have a right to love and anyone I love and want to marry, a state has to recognize that. It's indefensible not to do it in the cases I mentioned. The only reason is, is because it's all political. But if it's political, then let's have a political debate in a freaking legislature and not do it in a court. That is why. The gay marriage case in the court was so 
indefensible from an intellectual or legal standpoint, irrespective of your views on morality and biblical values and whatever. That's a totally separate thing. You can't have social transformation without representation. Yet now it's become so bad, we have castration without representation. The only question that remains here is if Republicans will actually finally push back. You know, it's funny how sanctuary cities are somehow able to thwart the immigration laws passed by the elected branch of the federal government related to its most foundational power over sovereignty of the union. And no one, no one does anything about it. Yet somehow when the unelected weakest branch of the federal government just destroys the states, the states just give into it. So we'll see what happens. We might follow up and have a, someone from the state legislator on um, in the Iowa, I Idaho state legislator to discuss this in the future. In our remaining time, I just want to move on to the next social transformation. Illegal is citizen. Citizens are strangers in our own country. Weak on crime laws. There's so much on my docket. I don't really have time, but just real briefly, um, the city of D.C., the D.C. government, city council, is looking to now expand their jailbreak programs. D.C., California, many states have now created a new law whereby those convicted to life in prison without parole as juveniles. Now, those are some really bad dudes because it takes a lot to get that these days. You know, straight up first degree murder, probably not even so much rape. Um, I don't even know how often that happens. Basically, just first degree murder. After 15 years, they could reopen that sentence, 15 or 20 years, depending on the state. The D.C. government is looking to now extend that to those convicted of crimes up until the age of 25, not just 18. So in other words, and the Washington Post put this out. The Washington Post did an editorial against this. Republicans won't talk about it. Jared Kushner is out there. You might have seen the Axis article. He said in front of a group of Republican donors, don't worry, felons are voting Republican. Yet even the Washington Post is railing against this. And they noted that under D.C.'s proposal, both the El Paso shooter and the Dayton guy would be out at the ages of 36 and 39, respectively. After 15 years, the, even though you were sentenced to life in prison without parole, but after 15 years, we could reopen that and potentially let you go. And yet Republicans are all on board with this. That, if, if, if the American people would only know this, we could destroy the other side. But we don't have another side. That's the problem. So there's a lot more on that front I want to get to. Um, it's endless. There's endless new cases that demonstrate these weak on crime laws, Republicans and Jared joining along with it. We're going to continue dogging this issue. But real briefly, as I've been recording this, another story broke. As we noted before, Montgomery County, Maryland is a sanctuary county where they defy federal law. And there are now four cases of alleged rape, most of them child rape, at the hands of Salvadoran nationals in the jurisdiction. And now it's breaking news that there is a fifth 
case. Kevin Lewis is the local ABC News reporter. He's been breaking all of these stories. He is a rare gem in this industry of random journalists that recognizes that, wait a minute, Montgomery is a sanctuary. If we have all these heinous criminals you know, committing crimes, often being released, that's a big story. We need to report on, meaning it's not immaterial to the fact of the crime that the guy is an illegal alien because that means this is an avoidable crime and a lot of it is caused by its sanctuary status. So this is a big story. The problem is every other reporter I know of in these local areas, they do everything they can to cover it up. So if we had a Kevin Lewis in every single area of the country, we would have a different country because people would know about this. They would know about the social transformation taking place. And by the way, there's no greater social transformation than importing a large group of people that have in their culture to have sex with children that young. This is a very pervasive problem. I'm just going to read to you from his Twitter account. Just came out. New. Nelson Reyes Medrano is accused of crawling into bed with a 16-year-old Germantown, Maryland girl as she napped. The 46-year-old proceeded to rape the teen at knife point, police say. This is the fifth undocumented immigrant arrested on rape charges in Montgomery County in the last month. More. Cops say Reyes Medrano grew impatient and placed the knife against the victim's neck. He then ripped off the 16-year-old's clothes. What is alleged to have happened next is too troubling to publish. You can look at the police report linked to in his Twitter account. Um, The victim told detectives she was in pain during the entire assault. More. Reyes Medrano is married with 10 10 children. Six are under the age of 18. For the last three years, he's worked at a bakery in PG County, Maryland, another sanctuary. ICE says the accused rapist is Salvadoran national living in the U.S. illegally. It's lodged a detainer against him. I obtained that same statement from ICE's spokeswoman in Maryland. Folks, I just want to, before I read his last tweet, This is yet another case in Montgomery County where you have a married man with a bunch of children raping an underage girl. In a previous case, this uh, Mendoza guy we uh, reported on last week, this guy was alleged to have attempted to rape a 12-year-old girl while his wife was giving birth to their fourth child. Had three children, giving birth to another anchor baby. Think about this. We are now stuck with the family members of child rapists thanks to the erroneous, illogical, and illegal notion of anchor baby birthright citizenship, which is absolutely not true. Trump needs to pull the trigger on that. We need to keep applying that pressure. But I go on. He noted that Montgomery County Police recorded 314 rape cases in 2016, an average of 26 a month. MoCo does not collect data on criminal suspects' immigration status, so it's very challenging to decipher what percentage of our U.S. citizens, legal residents, or undocumented immigrants commit crimes. And that that point is true of every jurisdiction. We have no data. So it's left to people like us to really scrape for these cases. But you wonder how common it is. They will not report on it. If you think illegals commit so few crimes, you should... You shouldn't be ashamed to report this, right? But there's another important thing. Montgomery County is another example of where jailbreak meets um, meets uh, sanctuary cities. 
In other words, the general weak on crime mentality meets weak on illegal immigration. Aside from the fact that they don't believe in sovereignty, Montgomery County is, they don't believe in criminal justice. They're remaking our criminal laws. It's no surprise that after violent crime going down, remember we talked about how the more we locked up people and the more we had tougher sentencing and tougher policing and more of a deterrent, the more crime plummeted. Well, guess what? Guess what? It turns out, as they become weaker the last number of years, crime's going up. So um, Kevin Lewis, the ABC7 news reporter, reports on his Twitter account here, a graphic here showing a spike the last few years. And this is around when it happened, 2014, 2015, 2016. Now, we don't even have 2018, 2019 data. I'd love to see where the trajectory is. But you could just see it went from like, you know, 130 or so rapes a year, 120, 130, to 314. I mean, folks, that, that, that's like a 70% increase. I mean, that's a story in and of itself. That's a story in and of itself. This is what we have. Castration without representation. Social transformation without representation. Judicial supremacy. Jailbreak. Illegal immigration. Transgender this and that. We are having our soul as a nation, as a people, our security, our sovereignty, our civil society ripped to shreds. And often without our saying it. Where are the Republicans talking about this? Where are the Republicans in the Trump administration working to make September a fight? Over sanctuary cities, over crime, making Montgomery County a rallying cry for that agenda, just like the left is making El Paso a rallying cry to infringe upon constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens while they, meanwhile, let gun felons out of prison. Where is the counter-agenda? Where is anyone in conservative media doing this? Well, we're certainly going to keep doing this, but we need your support. We need you to go to Conservative Review's YouTube page, like our video, subscribe to our YouTube page, send this show and every other show we do to 50 of your friends and family members, spread the word, because as you see, the more people know about this, the more it demands reaction. One of the things about jailbreak is they cannot tolerate dissent. Conservative publications, I hear from friends, are spiking columns that are critical of criminal justice reform. Conservative publications are saying you can no longer publish stuff that is critical of Soros's crime agenda. Think about that. The reason is very simple. Because unlike any other issue, this issue is such a universal slam dunk among 90% of voters that if people actually knew what they were doing, that this is not about, oh, first time, low level, nonviolent offenders. This is about deconstructing our entire system, abolishing prison across the board, abolishing deterrent, pro-criminal laws across the board. Nobody would support it if they knew about it. But nobody knows that this is even happening because it happens either under the radar or it happens by the courts or both. These are the issues. If today is the first time you're tuning into the Conservative Review podcast, these are the issues we're going to continue to cover, as well as many others 
but certainly these issues, the social transformation without representation, now morphing into castration without representation, paid for by you and me, the taxpayer. Hate to end off on a grim note, but until next time, thank you for listening, and God bless you all.